Well, hello, Being at Work listeners. We have a little bonus episode for you today. I was recently on a podcast called The Edge, hosted by my friend Tim Lehman, who I've known for over 20 years. Tim is the chairman of the board and CEO of Gibson, an organization focusing on employee benefits. And Tim and I share a huge passion for leadership development, growth, creating an empowering culture, and building strong teams. And because we had so much fun and the conversation is so rich, we wanted to share this episode with you on our feed as well. And because we have such huge respect for Tim and the team at Gibson, we're partnering with them to bring you three mini episodes in May, June, and July. So stay tuned for those. And in the meantime, Enjoy my energizing conversation with Tim. It's a good one. Welcome to The Edge, the podcast where we explore leadership. I'm your host, Tim Lehman, and on each episode, we'll dive into the real stories of incredible leaders who have found their edge and owned it. Thank you for joining us. And be sure to subscribe to our show on Apple, Google, or Spotify. Welcome to the Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Lehman. On this episode, we have Andrea Butcher. Andrea is CEO of HRD, a leadership development organization based in Indianapolis. She's also the host of a very successful podcast, Being at Work, and authored her first book, The Power and the Pivot, last year. I'm proud to call her a longtime friend. Welcome, Andrea. Yay, Tim. This How is are so you? good. I know. I'm great. Happy 2023. I know. It's awesome. And uh, hello back to you from Kimra, too. She wanted to make sure I, mm. I said that. So, okay, real quick, uh, tell us a little bit about HRD and your role there, and then we'll dig into some good questions here. I've uh, actually been preparing for this and got lots of good things I want to talk to you about and get your thoughts on. Oh, gosh. Well, I I feel so fortunate to get to do the work that I do every day. We are a leadership development organization, just as you said. And so our mission is to equip leaders to be the best of themselves so that they get the best of their team members. You know, we come alongside our clients, like building leadership capability within, in, in their businesses to help them achieve whatever it is they're trying to do as a business. You know, that always reminds me of the, you know, put your oxygen mask on first type of thing, right? It's hard to be best and show up for your own people if you aren't taking care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And and absolutely. Leadership development is self-development. I mean, we, the growth experiences that we lead leaders through really take them through a process of really uncovering who they are so that they can take care of their strengths, their gifts, and be that with the people that they're serving. So when when you're you know working with uh, with a client an organization or individuals like that, is it kind of hard to let them go? <laughs> I mean, I think part of it is you're probably kind of teaching them how to fish a little bit and and then maybe fly the nest to use some cliches there. But how is that when you kind of get done with a particular program? Do you end up staying in touch or how do you stay connected to everybody that you've you've worked with and helped? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we're none of us are ever going to be done developing as leaders. I mean, we'll never check that box because we're always growing and evolving. And I, I don't think that you separate your growth as a leader from your growth as a human being. 
And so the work that we do naturally lends itself to ongoing nature. So not surprising. I mean, the the clients that we're working with have been clients for for years. I mean, there are organizations because I did consulting for a previous organization. There are organizations I've worked with now for over 10 years. And it's so fun to see the evolution and the growth as a result of just pouring into your people. And you know that. I mean, you yeah. see that every day. And, and Gibson has such a great culture of development. You know that businesses don't grow, people do. And when we spend our time pouring in and lifting up, results will come. I couldn't agree more. You know, I've, I've realized that over the years, how much I really like team victory. And so being somebody who grew up in the sales world and so on, it that tends to be something that's very individualized and lone wolf and all that. And it was never as much fun as doing it together with somebody else. And ultimately that kind of led to that. You know, I, I realized I enjoyed being coach more than player or player coach. I wanted to kind of help put the team together and then watch them, you know, succeed. So that, I really relate to what you said there. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I think that's the true measure of a leader is that you are building capability for other leaders to build leaders, that paying it forward mindset. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Continually is, lifting each other, lifting each other up. Well, you're right. It, it is so so neat when you see some of those things taking place and some of your former lieutenants out there then yeah. taking maybe little bits and pieces of what they maybe learned from you and others and making it their own style. And, yeah. and then they're creating great teams and all that going forward. Yeah. yeah. I, I was I was with a peer group a few weeks before end of year, just doing some planning and goal setting. And I was telling one of my friends that I'd had a big win earlier that week that, you know, I've, I've been leading HRD for five and a half years now. And I came out of my office and there were several of our contacts from our largest client that we've worked with for years. And they were just getting ready to start a planning meeting. And I wasn't in the meeting. And it was it was a huge win for me. I felt so empowered and so proud of my team. You know, there were multiple team members there and they were so prepared and and I know them. And so it was great to connect with them and say hello. But then they went and led the meeting and I wasn't involved in it. And so I was telling him this and he was like, oh my gosh, weren't you terrified? And I'm like, actually, no, because I trust so much that the work that they're doing and I know their hearts and I know their preparedness. And so that's a win as a leader when you see them rising and you're you're not involved in it, right? It's, well, you're right. And, yeah, they don't need you in the same way. It took some years for me to feel really good about that too. Again, I think coming out of like that, I'd say being a former sales jockey, you're just so ingrained with how to measure what what is a win anyway, you know, what does that look like? And that shift and evolution that occurs along the way. And then to be okay with being four arm lengths removed from the whole thing and watch them all to come together. That's really what it's all about. But finding ways to kind of get that gratification or be okay about it or no, yeah, I had a small hand in that at some point in time along the way. And they don't need me anymore that way. And it is really that mark yeah. of then things are going well. Well, and that's well said, like needing you in different ways. I think that's that's the key is really paying attention to what are their needs and just asking a ton of questions so that you can gauge that and listen for, you know, where you could add or where you could support or where they might be struggling. I think that's that's the key, right? It's just giving them a space to process and and work through things. And our role is to ask questions and pay attention. Yeah, and so much of it, I think, ends up being about 
personal lives too. I know when I when I get together with <laughs> with a lot of the, those folks, it's it's really talking about that and maybe maybe challenges are happening in that right. way and right. things that maybe I've seen or whatever can you know help ask some more questions that point them in the right direction. Yeah, you got it. So we first uh, met on campus in Terre Haute, Indiana in the mid-90s. What memories do you still hold dear about our years together at Indiana State? So for your listeners, Tim Lehman was the AOPI guy. So his wife, Kimra, was my roommate. So I got to see this really interesting side of Tim as boyfriend to his now (laughs) wife. But you were so beloved, you know, and isn't it, isn't it funny when you think about your college years, how the, like the things that you were passionate about and the things that you did. And I mean, even, even as, as a Lambda Chi, like what were your, what were your leadership roles that you played in your fraternity? Um, I was treasurer for a year. I think it was in, uh, doing a uh, rush for a year and then all kinds of stuff on campus. I think I was on the was it Panhellenic Council yeah, and all, all yeah. that good stuff? Yeah. So see, I mean, naturally stepping up as a leader. And I mean, I, I was VP of education for AOPI. And I love that because I wanted to be able to pour in to like, new sisters. Like that was so, I was so fired up about that. And it's just interesting. I always, you know, we we have kids that are about the same age. And I'm always telling my kids, like, just pay attention to your passions. Pay attention to those things that light you up. Like they are pointing the way to leadership roles that you'll play throughout your life. Well, you've always so said- I, So I just, remember that about you. I remember you as a leader and just someone that is everyone connected with and so friendly. And I have uh, such fond memories of those days. Oh, well, you're too kind on all that stuff. I, I remember you as just uh, always just so high energy. And in fact, so I, and I think you were a, a year older than than Kimra and probably involved with mm-hmm. um, recruitment and all that stuff. And so- just kind of, again, naturally drew people and you always did it for the right reasons too. I mean, you just really naturally wanted to help people and, and help them and see them succeed. When did you kind of figure out that that was maybe a gift for you or, or whatever, you know, versus, and kind of, kind of using it, you know? Probably in my, my first like real role after graduate school, I was in Chicago and so I have an undergrad psych degree and a master's, both from Indiana State. My master's is in human resource development. And um, my first job then was an HR generalist for a global company based in London. And I was partnered with our sales organization. And so I was supporting sales branches all across the United States. And I realized really quickly the employee relations issues that would come across my desk. I realized that they were leadership issues. And so very quickly, I thought, you know, if we were just equipping these leaders to actually lead, these HR issues would go away. Like, why are we not pouring into these leaders? Why aren't we equipping them? And well, a lot of my HR peers were very threatened by that by that question. Right. <laughs> they liked they liked their jobs and they liked playing police. But I think it was around that time. I had an incredible mentor. I know you can also look back on your career and see people who put you into positions based on your strengths. There was a guy named Ken Jokum who was the head of HR for that business. He really encouraged me to, to lead. He gave me opportunities I would never have had. He gave me a facilitation opportunity at 24 years old. In Manchester, England, I delivered a change leadership program to a group of CEOs. <laughs> 
And I remember him telling me, I, I'm like, kind of like, why me? Like, I, I don't, I don't understand. And he said, well, I wouldn't ask you to do this if I didn't believe you could. And I didn't see your natural presentation facilitation skills. And, and it really, it set me on this trajectory. I, I loved it. And so then I very quickly gravitated towards L and D and I've really spent the rest of my career focused, focused there. And now, you know, I, I have such a passion for the HR space and do a lot of, I have another business, Next Gen Talent, that's all about building emerging HR leaders, because I think the profession is, um, is really shifting to more of leader, coach, and facilitator within the business. So it's interesting how, you know, I started in HR, but I've had this, this career focused on equipping leaders. And now I feel like I'm giving back to the profession by focusing on that and building leadership within emerging talent and people leaders. I, I love it because you're you're so right on that, that classic HR position where it's, it always kind of reminds me of like, you know, Lucy, you know, from Peanuts <laughs> and it's just like things didn't get solved, right? You come and pay your five cents and sit on the chair and you might kind of feel okay coming out of there, but it wasn't, it wasn't solving anything. It was just kind of patching some things up right. versus helping, you know, helping uh, HR leaders be problem solvers, be strategic, have a seat at the table. Um, yeah. I love all that. I, I do have to ask you too. I, I didn't realize that your first HR role was with a sales division like that. And it's something I'm yeah. always interested in. It's oh, a big part yeah. of our business. Yeah. What what was something that you kind of think about now versus other segments of employees that is unique about providing uh, support and everything to salespeople? <laughs> I love the energy of salespeople. I love the drive, you know, and I think that the motivation and the drive, like that's something for me that was, that's, that's really unique. I also think, as I think about different sales organizations I've worked in or I've worked with, the leadership of those organizations is absolutely critical, isn't it? The systems, the processes, the, the level of safety that they create within the environment is absolutely huge. I, I was really lucky in that first organization. A guy named Scott led sales, and I'm still connected with him. And I learned so much from his leadership and how he created an environment for people to be successful. I think we don't often think about that, right? Is that we we think a lot about the relationship, but not like the environment that we are that we're creating. Yeah. You know, are we creating an environment where people can show up and ask hard questions? Are we creating an environment where people feel safe to say I'm struggling? Like that the the culture, right? The environment that we're creating, absolutely critical within a sales team or any team, really. Right. Applies across the board for sure. I I think salespeople, it's interesting because they they tend to have outweighted or overweighted influence on an organization. I mean, it's maybe where the revenue comes in from. Yeah. And yeah. they if they're good at what they're doing, they just kind of are naturally intrinsically good at being quick on their feet and persuasive and making their case and sometimes a little rogue too. So it lends itself to they have really good skill sets to potentially be manipulative and sometimes they don't even mean to be or want to be, but but also they, because of that stereotype, I think the others in the organization can kind of, you know, oh, here's salespeople again <laughs> doing this. And I th I think when it, some some HR people have really figured that out over the years, how to work with them. I, I had a, well, he's my boss's boss when I was in Arizona, and he used to kind of say something like, well, hey, they're all like uh, prized thoroughbreds. 
you know, and this one likes um, her oats warmed and this, this guy, he, he likes his hairbrush from left to right. And, you know, yeah. we can all complain about what that particular person needs, but let's remember when people buy tickets, they, they want to see the horses race, you know, not Got the rest it. of us. So, so warm the oats and brush the hair the way they need it and all that. But it, it was a reminder really of really getting to know your, the individuals on the team and, and what makes them kind of tick and what they needed from you to, to be successful and to set your ego aside, you know? Yeah, you got it. And meet and be willing to meet them where they are. Based Absolutely. On, based on those needs. I went back and looked in some of the the records at Indiana State and I couldn't find any evidence of this if if one or both of us were ever voted most likely to, to be hosting a podcast. But in, <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, though, you've run a really successful podcast on the People Forward <laughs> Network named Being at Work. Tell our listeners a little bit about it and then also about the People Forward Network. You know, it is so interesting. So we're in our fourth year and I have grown so much as a human being because I'm a podcast host. I'm a better listener. I'm more authentic. I know myself more. I trust myself more. It's really been an interesting journey. You know, the, the, the first year and a half, I showed up to every conversation just a little bit terrified, like, oh my gosh. And when what I learned is like the less I try and the more I just am, the much more effective I am. And, yeah, and that, that then that and that translates then into every relationship in my life. You know, I I because I am I am a natural salesperson, you know, I am high energy, I'm a driver, I want people to like me, I want to be influential, I want to win people over and some of the behaviors that have come along with that have actually been very detrimental to my connecting, you know, my like trying to prove myself. And then I come off like way too strong and end up rubbing people the wrong way or my ego gets involved. And so I'm just, I'm learning. And the podcast hosting has been a huge help for that, just to put that down and just to be present with people and to show up and share and be real. And those are the things that create connection. When, um, our team here at Gibson asked me to host one and start this up a couple of years ago. Yeah. I was kind of anxious about the whole thing and it just seemed like a lot of work and like, wait, who do you want? What, what am I doing here? And what I realized uh, just really a few, maybe a few episodes into it, it was like, yeah, I'll do this all day long. It's a ton of fun. I get to talk to interesting people. And uh, you know, I think it, it's crazy too, that it takes a podcast to maybe to do something like this, but we should all be doing a whole lot more of this grab coffee and just, talk about oh, real yeah. stuff and all the things we all face like that. Cause it, it's a, it's a ton of fun. And, but I guess recording it that way it helps a lot more people than just, just the two of us. And it's a and processing tool, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a processing tool. I, so you, you alluded to in the intro, you alluded to the book and I wrote the book because I, I ask every single guest, tell me about a pivotal moment that taught you a lot about your leadership. And what I noticed after the first year, so it was a weekly show at that time. So after 52 conversations with executives, I saw these really clear themes emerge. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to write those down because those, those are good. Those will be helpful for anybody going through any kind of a transition, pivot, any leadership challenge. Well, I have three years post conversations after those that the book is built on. And so I'm, I'm starting to work on book number two that is all about stories, telling your story and the healing that comes from telling your story. Because what's been happening, and it's, it's interesting because it's post-pandemic, and I don't know if it's coincidental or if post-pandemic is related to it, 
But over the last couple of years, I have had so many, the guests that are on our show now are CHROs, chief people officers for large organizations. So we've had that, you know, the CHRO from um, Cancer Center Treatments of America and um, Rakuten and Aflac, so large organizations. I've had so many of those leaders come back to me after we record saying, thank you so much. I have healed as a result of talking through this. It was a story I'd never told before. It was a story I was really afraid to tell, but I've grown so much just by processing it. And so it's, it's just been such a reminder to me to tell our stories. And so I think there's an important message for HR leaders in that, but all leaders in that. You lead from the essence of who you are as a person. The more you tell your stories, the more you connect with your stories, the more connection you'll have. Andrea, what's a maybe a question or two that you've learned or be asked over the years that's kind of elicited some of that deepest response or the the kind of response where you get a follow-up like that, talking about, boy, that actually was kind of cathartic to to share that that personal story. It, maybe it helps all of us uh, think about it when we're having conversations with people, some things we could be asking. Well, and I think they could be, they don't have to be as, because tell me about a pivotal moment in your life, right? That can feel kind of, oh, oh gosh. But I mean, I think just asking simple questions like, what's a big leadership lesson you've learned in your career? You know, what's a, what's a big moment that stands out for you in your career? Like those questions are disarming. And we've all got big moments like that. It's so funny because what happens so much of the time when I ask leaders that, tell me about a pivotal moment. And the way in which our process works is I'll do an intro call and we'll give them time to process that and think about that. So we're not just hopping on and I'm asking them that call, asking them that question. They've had some time to reflect on that. And what I hear so much of the time is, oh my gosh, there are so many. And so I will say, well, just tell me about one. And they'll say something like, oh gosh, I don't really, I don't know if I should talk about that one. That's the one you need to talk about. Wow. That's the one that pops up. And wow. so, and so I'll usually say, well, let's just, let's try it. Like, let's just unpack it a little bit. And if it doesn't, I, I make it really safe for them. If it doesn't feel good for you, we don't have to record, but I would just, I would love to hear your story. And so they'll end up telling the story. And a lot of times there's emotion involved and there's rich lessons that emerge and I'll highlight those lessons. And then I'll ask, I'm like, I would love for you to join. I would love for you to join us on the show and share this lesson with our audience. And they usually do it. And so then they'll have another opportunity to share it again. And so I'm not surprised then that they, upon reflecting on that, they say, thank you. Like I, yeah, they've gone even a little bit deeper when you, when you get to re recording it. That made me think about, and you talked about this, you know, it's made you better in your personal life and family and all those kind of things. So you've learned all this, you're, you're, you're good at it. Do you ever uh, catch a little flack though, maybe from your husband or your daughter? Like, Hey, hey, hey don't, I, I'm not on your show right now, <laughs> mom or Andrea. Stop, so stop, you know. coaching, stop coaching me is a, yeah, it's a big <laughs> one in our house. Stop coaching me right now. Yes, I do. I do. I'm sure you do too. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I do. I get some of that. Uh, we're not at Gibson right now. Um, right. On that. Right. But, you know, I think, um, and we, we've, uh, you mentioned, uh, kids a similar age and all that. We both have college juniors. Um, it really hit me a few years ago though, of like, I, I work with so many people, so many of my partners, um, here 
help and share some of the things I've learned about whether it's planning or assessments and kind of drawing some of those things out. And like, I felt like I hadn't done enough with my, like with my own family, my own kids, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, yeah. that'll be the thing that that would just tear me apart to know, like I, I could have yeah. been more helpful to them and I wasn't trying to push it on them or force it on them. So I, I didn't, but I had everybody do a, a Colby assessment. So we've, we've done all done all that, which is mm -hmm. kind of fun. And I've gotten to know though that, that assessment really well. But at the time I had one of my friends who's uh, certified kind of camera jokes and said we had marriage counseling, but it, it, he did a, <laughs> you know, armchair 30 minutes, like, and she loved it. It was great, but it was so interesting with the, with the kids as well to see little things and notice little things and to be able to, you know, help oh. them with it. And, and in particular, my youngest one, our, our 13 year old daughter, and, and even her brothers will agree that she's probably got the highest uh, ceiling of, of all of them in a, in a lot of ways. She's just a little boss. She's been around them. She's been around adults. She's great communicator. Mm -hmm. She's smart, really quick witted. And I wouldn't have seen some of the things, but, but being able to look at that assessment and she and I actually have almost an exact same Colby, which is a quick start and all amplified, almost all into just the quick start bar. Although she's a little bit heavier on the implementer piece too, which is she's into art and loves, loves drawing and so it's a really kind of unique combination, wow. but I, I remember a business coach of mine talking about my Colby being an absolute pain in the ass as an employee. And um, yeah, I let that sink in a little bit. Like not, I'm not like, a great follower. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, Kimra, we're, we're in trouble here, but I, I hadn't fully seen all that. And it was really, really helpful because a lot of things have really fallen into place better to help support her and all that. So Speaking of of kids and and your oldest Mason, I noticed that you've uh, you know unleashed the beast there. You're going to have her hosting your show. Yeah, she actually just today she released an episode. Oh, wow. How She's did that a, all, how did that all come about? And and tell me about her feelings about all that. Is she excited about it? Apprehensive? You know, I'd love to know I all about it. She's an interesting one. So Mason is incredibly articulate. I am always looking for opportunities to get her out in front because she's, while she is a natural leader, she's she's not as out front as I am. And I have, so I've always been encouraging her. And last year, early in 2021, there was a uh, spring break. She worked for us over spring break and was doing some admin things at HRD. And I had her shadow a little bit just so she could see some leadership development in action. And and I asked her as a part of her working for us that week, I asked her to write and record five daily doses of leadership. And her first, re first response was, well, what would I have to say about leadership? And I said, you're leading all the time. Leadership is influence. You are a leader in your sorority. You're a leader in your family. You're a leader with your friends. So I trust you. And I, I, I trust that whatever you write and whatever you record, I don't even want to know. I know that they will be great. And they were. So she just did five of them. And so then she recently asked if she could do it again. That's awesome. And I, mm -hmm. I see it's um, Leadership Lessons from Taylor Swift. <laughs> Her recent album, Midnight. And it's funny because she even starts, which is so good. She even starts with you probably wondering what kind of leadership lessons can come from the analysis of pop music, but there's some really good ones. So she's, you know, she's kind of joking about it right out of the gate, but it's a good message. You know, it's, it's a message all about, you know, you 
the the greatest validation of your success comes from within, comes from you. So stop looking around you for affirmation. Check in with yourself. What an important reminder lesson. So we do every day, we do a daily leadership lesson. It's just two or three minutes long. So over the next four Tuesdays, she'll be taking over those. Oh, that's that's awesome. Well, the, the boys listen to the podcast um, uh, every now and again. Grace does not, but we're um, taking her to Taylor Swift. Kimra and I are on her, on her birthday on June 9th. So super excited one, about that. You're she one had, of the lucky ones that got tickets, huh? Oh, man. She had uh, pitched it to us and we kind of poo-pooed it and then we're able to get them. And so I don't, she doesn't know yet. So awesome. she's going to be um, over the that's moon on that. Yeah. When you were talking about that with, with Mason and, and just some natural self-doubt, like mom, yeah. I don't have anything to offer. It, it kind of reminded me yeah. last summer I was reading, um, who not how, um, by Dan Sullivan and really like talking about it. Don't go reinvent stuff all the time. Go, go find somebody who knows how to do it. Like we're teaching everybody wrong. Always worry about the how first somebody's already done that. So go befriend them, support them, help them and let them show you how they did it. Do it faster, easier, better hire somebody who could do that, whatever the case is. And so Jack had set some some goals that he wanted to do to do some networking. And um, it was so cool to watch him meet with a lot of my YPO friends in Indianapolis. And he worked for one last summer. And he was actually starting to go out and meet with some people that I don't even know all that well. And then he got invited to go uh, water skiing with some of them on Friday mornings during the summer. And I'm, like, I'm I'm friends with a couple of those guys. I've not been asked to go water <laughs> ski at 630 in the morning at Lake Lemon, but you know, right. hey, good for you. But he came back from that and had read that book too. And he's like, but I, dad, I don't have anything for them. I'm like, oh, you have so much for them too. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Look at, they all need to recruit young, talented people. You have lots yeah. of young, talented people. <laughs> uh, yeah. They might want to know what's going on uh, with people your age. There's just, you know, a host of things and it. And I think he really was able to sit back and think about some of those things a little bit more. And, and we all have something to share. And so these kind of mentor-mentee relationships, okay. they go both ways. And and I said, if nothing else, I mean, honestly, at some point in time, a, a lot of us don't get asked anymore to help mm -hmm. somebody. And we really like it, especially if people follow up and tell you how you made a difference for them and stuff. They'll do this all day long. And so just Absolutely. the fact that you're asking and want some help and you want to meet with them. And I think it, it took till, you know, I think he'd set a goal of like 40 of those kind of meetings. And he was out of gas by the time he hit 40. It was, he was like, okay, that's good. I'm good for now. Um, but he he learned so much on that. And I think realized that he got a lot back out of it too. So oh, it's so fun watching them grow like that and take some of these things and then run with it on their, you know, on their own. Yeah. And it is such a good reminder to emerging talent to ask. I mean, anytime I get asked, you know, sometimes it's only a 15 minute conversation, but just like you said, people want to help, right? We we want to pay it forward and give back. And I think it's, it's just on the emerging leaders and the emerging talent, just like Jack reached out to those people and said, Hey, will you connect? Like, do yeah, it. it was, it's been really cool. And this will warm your heart, you know, and I'll probably embarrass him here, but he and his, uh, his girlfriend, she's a year older. And so she'll be graduating and she already knows where she's gonna be working it's not indianapolis and uh he told me before he left head back to, uh, from break down to butler that they're going to be doing some planning together so that they can be in alignment and yes. how often they're gonna be able to see each other as the next as the year approaches and all kinds of things like that so okay. with that is always 
you know, doing some preparation for this too. I came across uh, the episode, your other guest host, Robert, um, yeah. interviewed you. And one of the things that you talked about in there that I thought was awesome was taking some of these um, business things maybe we've learned about planning for a company and dialing that in and doing some, as a couple, doing some planning. So talk to us about that a little bit. What's that like? Because if, if I say that to some of my friends or or any couples out there, you could start getting some frowns like, yeah, that sounds really romantic or I bet that's great, you know? <laughs> and I don't think they understand though. It actually leads to all the great stuff and the romance and all these other things because yeah. being intentional about it. But tell, tell us a little bit about your experience with, with that. Well, I mean, I think it's the difference between responding and reacting because we know that life is full of challenges. And so as a couple, like, what are you making decisions from? Are you responding from shared vision, shared values, or are you just reacting emotionally, reacting based on situation? So when I went through my coaching certification in 2009, I did a 10-year vision. And so it was something then that I did every year and found so much just energy, joy, also focus in. Much easier to say no to something when you have a bigger yes and so by the time Robert came into my life, I mean, it was a part of my routine to do this vision. So he just got rolled into it. And, <laughs> you know, and now, so, so that would have been 2016 would have been the first time we did that together. And now, you know, several years later, we have, so Robert and I have a 10 year vision that we share, but then we each do our own goal setting from that a bit differently. Cause I think goal setting is such a personal thing. I, I do think systems are the solution, but that is one where you got to figure out your system. So I, I always struggle with like, I have nothing to teach anyone about vision or goal setting because it is so personal. But the, the thing I feel really certain about is that you call it what you want, call it a direction, call it mission, vision, purpose. Exemplary leaders have the courage to name the future. Because inherent in the the definition of leadership is a future place. I mean, the root of the word lead is to go, to guide, to travel. So leaders, we're, you know, we're, we're charting the course. So in any aspect of our lives, we serve ourselves and the people that we're leading if we name a positive future. Like, this is what, this is what it looks like. And then you can work backwards. So my 10-year vision is idealistic because it's out beyond obstacles. It takes the average person seven years into the future before obstacles no longer exist. So I always encourage leaders to go out 10 years. And is that hard? Yes. But there are things that we all know. We all know how old we will be in 10 years and we know how old the people in our lives will be. So that helps us to start shaping a picture. I mean, think about Tim, 2033, right? We'll be 57, 50, 56, 55, like mid fifties. Our kids will be 30. I mean, they're probably going to be starting to have kids. So doesn't it serve us well to think about, okay, what am I going to start doing today to get my, get myself into a position where I can live the life I want to live in 10 years? I love that. And there are no obstacles there, right? I can dream. I mean, I, I want I want to have the freedom to be able to choose work and projects that let me go where I want to go, because who knows where Mason will be at that time? 
I want to have multiple organizations that I'm lifting up and encouraging and pouring into and leaders leading with you know tentacles out and all over the world, developing and encouraging leaders. And it's just so fun to think about that. I want to be working on my fifth book. I want there to be all kinds of being at works. You know, it's just, it's fun to dream, isn't it? It's fun to dream. And then you can say, okay, so if that's the big dream, what do I want to do in 2023 to get me closer to that? And when opportunities emerge, I've got something to filter it through. When Robert and I have a big decision to make or something challenging, Robert and I go to our vision. Let's filter it through the vision we have for the future. Does it align? Does it not? Just makes all of those conversations just grounded. They're grounded in something. I I love it. I love just listening to you just touch on some of your tenure vision there too. And it, it is, it's super exciting. It's how you get to have such rich experiences there too. If you don't map it out and lay those kind of things out there, they don't happen. Everything's busy. All the obstacles, like you talked about, there's just so many things you, you can see all the reasons why it won't come together or won't work. And if you get it out far enough like that, those, yeah, those do kind of evaporate and then, and then work it, work it back. It is really interesting starting to think about that. Yeah. I, I turned uh, 48 this, this year, Kimra just turned 47 and you start kind of looking ahead. Our middle one will be down at Butler with Jack in a next year. And it's like, wow, you know, life's moving really, really fast. I was listening to uh, Jim Collins' um, interview not so long ago, and he was kind of talking about getting a chance to meet Peter Drucker and spend a lot of time with him. Like in his, he met him, I think, when he was 85, and Jim would have been 55. I think there was like a 30 year, no, a 50 year difference, 35 and 85, 50 year difference between the the whole thing with that was that Peter Drucker wrote like, 10 or 11 books between age 85 and 92 when he died. And so oh. Jim's big deal is now that he's turned 60 or whatever is like, I I'm only just starting to turn the corner and I've got 30 more years. And that means this many books and this many people and all these kind of things. So, but I don't think those kind of things happen by accident. And that also gets back into, you mentioned it earlier, talking about luck and we've had some people luck of the people we've bumped into and gotten to know all that luck seems to happen more frequently and more often, I think, when when some of that in, intentionality occurs. Yeah, along the way. You, you got it. You got it. I have a friend that texted me over the weekend saying, hey, I'm really struggling with my goals because I'm afraid that they won't come to fruition. And it was just a good reminder to me that, you know, it, I think I think everyone. So I was just asked her some questions, you know, that well, why are you setting goals? Like, what's important to you about that? And, you know, as we unpacked it a little bit, she realized that, yeah, I mean, it's it's not even necessarily so that I accomplish these things. It's to just give me something much more positive. She's um, she's recovering from cancer. And so mm. it's, she said, it's to give me something positive to focus on. I'm like, there you go. So if they don't come to fruition, I don't come to fruition, but you'll have something much more positive to focus on. It's like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. So same thing with my 10-year vision. You know, I, so I obviously I've see, I've got all these iterations now since I've been doing this for so many years. And in the vision that I casted in 2009, certainly there were things that came to fruition, but there were a lot of things that didn't. You mm-hmm. know, the, the story that I always tell is Robert, you know, I, I was a few years after a divorce and I had had some relationships that weren't quite right. And 
I had this picture of this person in mind, you know, this partner that would challenge me, that that would be active, that was a leader in his life. And, and so I wrote down like all of the things that I wanted in a partner and it took some time, but Robert, Robert came into my life and, you know, call, call it coincidence, call it luck, whatever. I don't know. I think that my being intentional had a lot, had a lot to do with it. But there's a lot of things that didn't come to fruition. I don't have multiple homes. <laughs> I don't have this. I don't have the sailboat yet. Yet is key, but right? Yet it's key. Yet is key. Well, and here's like here's just a crazy story. So I was looking back at my 2020. I want to get this right. 2013 vision, and I had written that in by 2023, I would be working on my third book. And so when I decided I've always known I would write, but it just never, timing never felt right. I just, I like to do things that give me energy and the idea of that didn't give me energy. And so I was starting to feel a little bit like, oh gosh, I kind of got this, you know, I have this 2023 goal, three books. And so I was telling my husband in 2020 is when I started the, the power in the pivot. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to have, you know, three books, but I'll definitely get like the one under my belt, right? Which will get me rolling. Well, so at the beginning, so I'm working on the power and the pivot all of 2021, you know, at the beginning of last year, I'm working with a publisher and I got a call from Wiley just out of the blue. Well, was it out of the blue? I don't know, but out of the blue. And I had talked with Wiley about the power and the pivot. And so I built some relationships there and an acquisitions editor called me and said, Hey, you know, that book didn't work out, but we're actually, we have this other book that we'd love to get your help with. Or would you be interested in re rewriting a book that was last published in 2028 that we want to, we want to re-release. And so that book will launch early this year. Oh, wow. And so how, so how did that happen? Right. Where did that come from? I mean, that, that's the power of, I mean, I don't know. A lot of people would say that's coincidental, but I don't know. I, I definitely think like putting it out there is energy, isn't it? That somehow makes its way back to us. Well, I think, and I'm a big fan of all Jim Collins stuff, but um, he talks a lot about that return on luck and that yeah. people actually experience at least companies. And he, he, he parlayed it into people as well. When he done all, did all the company studies, they, all the companies experienced the same amount of luck, good luck and bad luck along the way. But the difference was the ones that were prepared for it had lower, lesser bad luck. And then they were able to kind of open up their sales and capture the the good luck that came around because they were ready for it. And that was the difference. Not, not because, well, this airline did better than that airline because of, you know, good luck, bad luck. It was, it was the, the being intentional about that. I think that's one of the things that helped me so much, like focusing in, you talked about being willing and able to say no. And that's really hard too. I mean, I've, even when it comes to, and I always find a little bit of conflict in this, like I love helping people and connecting with people. And I also realize too, as you kind of keep refining and keep getting into your unique abilities, you've got to keep tightening that up more and more and find ways to say yes, but but a little differently, maybe that don't require 100% of you. It might be one of, again, one of your okay. lieutenants out there that has kind of come up okay. and learned the same way that they can be helpful and useful yeah. to that that person. So for you, what's one of the things that was has been toughest for you to say no to? 
Yeah, I, I'm right with you on that. Is connecting connecting with people for certain. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll I'll do the same thing. Like it's right now, it's not the right time for me. But here, Amanda is the right person for you to connect with, mm-hmm. or Erica is in a much better position to meet with you and talk through that. Yep. Going back to my goals and my vision helps for me as well. And and sometimes it's a not right now. You know, yeah, I'm just, right running through that filter. I have a a friend who does a lot of um, life coaching and so on. And one of the things that was a really great tool he gave me back in 2018. And then as I often do, I took it and added just a little bit more to it. And, uh, but he's kind of got this, he had this one page life plan and I took it, but I made it two pages. And on one of the pages, got it kind of sitting here in front of me. I put all the personality profiles and so on that I'd taken over the years. In fact, I think I took one with a leadership program that you did back in 08 or nine or seven or something like that. But, and I tried to capture some of the, I guess I'll say the good and bad, or maybe it's the, you know, the yin and the yang of, of different parts of personality and kind of to remind myself and help, help me really stay more and more focused, more and more, spend more and more time in those areas of strength. And then to, to lay out some of those big plans, like you talked about. And so one of the things in there, like, I love new stuff and exploring and all that. Growing up, my dad, you know, was always big, you know, got to see all 50 U.S. states. And so a couple of our family vacations were like that. I remember being in the back of a Buick LeSabre with a built-in bench that he'd made it all like a couch. And then me and my brother and sister <laughs> were, you know, head to toe. Kind of I mean, it's just like crazy now to think about that. So we'd done a lot of the Northeast and all that, but it hadn't. And so I'm I like, I want to go to all 50 states. Also want to go to all seven continents. And we do a big trip with the kids when they're 13. So Grace's was um, last summer. We were going to go to Australia. And at the time we had to make a call because it was about a year in advance. And with the pandemic and everything, we weren't sure. So we pivoted. And of course, I'm a little bit selfish on this. I'm like, okay, well, I want to go to like the Great Plains and Rushmore and all this stuff. So I, I, I helped Grace think that that was a good idea too. But it it turned out into being like this the greatest trip ever, and we we took a you know or a Sprinter bus and stayed in Airbnbs, and we just had so much fun for like two weeks. And even Jack was trying to tell me about how it wasn't going to work for him because he needed to make some money at his job. And I'm like, I know your boss this summer; he's very intentional and loves family, <laughs> and I could get you fired for not going on my trip with me. Oh, I love and it. I'm also I'm sure as an intern that their company will survive without you. And um, of all the things we've ever done to, it was like, they all just still talk, just talking constantly about it. Yeah. And it all comes back. Like if that wouldn't have been, we would have pivoted to something easier or something yeah. different, but that yeah. forced us to really, to go see all this. And so Australia's back in the till again, but that also, because it's on the list, the two that I need to go to are Antarctica and Australia had this Antarctica opportunity come up for December of 23. So about a year from now. And at first I thought nobody would want to go with me. And I was kind of trying to talk the boys into it. And then Kimra and Grace were like, whoa, we're we're going too, you know? So all five of us are going to Antarctica uh, a year from now. I love it. It'll be, it'll be really cool. But I I love then also seeing that and seeing them start thinking about what they want to do and to be planning ahead for it and and thinking about it. So that's, and that's um, the key, isn't it? It's just planting those seeds, those visionary seeds, like, and it also gets us out of the muck 
of what is. So much of the time we get stuck in what isn't working, what isn't good. And that going big picture always serves us well. Well, and like you said too, I think having the right right partner matters a lot. And so when I was joking about our, our Colby uh, marriage counseling, the one thing that Kimmer always remembers from it, and I do too, is he's like, he knows me really well. He's like, okay, so Tim's crazy. I always wanted to do something. The gas pedal's always down. And he's like, in yours, you pump the brakes, but you don't really ever slam the brakes on him, do you? But just pump them enough to keep them grounded. She's like, yes, exactly. That's it. I go, no, yeah, exactly. That's it. Because if you were a brake slammer, it wouldn't work. Not work. Um, but it's good though, because I can go too far, too fast, too much. And this kind of pulls it all back together. So, uh-huh. hey, so we talked about uh, this and we'll we'll kind of head into the final part here. We talked a little bit about one of your, uh, maybe your gifts, but this is the Edge podcast. And so I love asking other leaders and people like, one of you know, learning about now that you kind of know yourself and so on, what is the thing that gives you your edge in life? And how have you kind of harnessed, you know, that, that superpower? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's vision. I think it's, it gives me so much energy to think about the future and encouraging other people to do that. I mean, I, I hosted multiple vision board parties over the last several weeks with different groups and kids and adults and yeah, and just encouraging people to imagine the possibilities. And I and I'm doing the work myself, you know, and and there's never again like give yourself grace. I'm never going to have it figured out and I'm always going to struggle with it a little bit and but what I do know is it gives me energy and so I'm on to something there. It's so exciting to see and it doesn't happen for everybody, but yeah, and you give them a little project like that or a little anything to work on and then to see it kind of inspire and take off and they hadn't thought about some of those things before i love it okay let's shift gears to rapid fire this is always my favorite part of the show all right so um start easy what's what's your favorite color red for sure. Okay. Well, so you Vibrant, were meant for right. AOPI. You know, I just, uh-huh. I just, I was just red rose and all that. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would know your first car. I'm trying to remember if I can remember back that long, maybe what you drove at Terre Haute, but what was your first car? It was a Pontiac Sunbird convertible. Oh, wow. Your uh-huh. parents liked you a lot, didn't they? They did. It was a 91 Pontiac Sunbird convertible that got trashed. Oh, no. That got trashed. So I so I lived with Brooke put off uh-huh. on Farrington Street across uh-huh. from the big yellow house. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> and it was also across from the Sigma New house where we had yes. lots of friends uh-huh. that wanted to borrow the car. And there were multiple times I would come home from working or class or wherever it was. And my car would be top down in the yard of the Sigma New house. Oh, my. With a keg in it. <laughs> That's one way to to trash the old convertible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's great. So we talked about Taylor Swift a little bit. What's the most memorable concert or performance that you've been to? Oh gosh. Great question. Well, I mean, the thing that's coming to mind is I love musicals. I love concerts. I love music. Um, but just most recently I was in New York City. And so I decided on a whim, I'm going to see if I can get theater tickets. There's a place in Times Square 
where you can get day of tickets. And it was by myself. So I was front row for Funny Girl. I got to see Leah Michelle from Glee on Broadway in New York City, front row. That is, is awesome. Maybe a little too close because you see everything. Like I could see like <laughs> her armpits double. I mean, I know that's gross, but that's how close I was. I could see the wow. sweat on her face. Oh my gosh. That's awesome though. You know, it's funny. I'm, I guess I've always liked music like a lot, but the whole family kind of teases me about this. And I, I told, tell the boys this of, you know, at the Lambda Kai house, I mean, you'd get when you're young and you're and all that, you get assigned really bad jobs to do for the parties. And I realized pretty quickly, like the best job would be in the DJ booth because you could still actually have a good time. You weren't cleaning stuff up. So I would do I, that a lot. And, um, and I think because of that, I mean, I loved kind of putting that stuff together with, of course, with, you know, big CD players with like seven discs <laughs> in them, whatever. But nowadays still to this day, like, I mean, the Spotify, Spotify has so many great things, but it's not good enough for me. And I'm still trying to beat the machine. And so <laughs> I, I have lots of playlists that I pull out and I still, and I don't think people are lying to me, but they might be just cause they know it. Maybe it matters to me still. <laughs> uh, but they're like, all right, yeah, put, put yours on, put yours on here. And, and that brings me to my next question too, because one of the things I do a lot of playlists for is every summer kind of updating stuff for time on the lake. So I yeah. love water and boats and all that. Would you describe mm. yourself more as a pontoon person or a speedboat kind of person? Oh, speedboat. All the way, pedal down. Yeah, I love it. That's because I love the ski. I love I, I, tubing. Like I, I love activity. I'm not one to just sit. Like I, I don't want to just go like sit on the beach or sit in the pontoon or even talking. I'm not a big like, let's sit and talk. We'll sit and talk for a little bit, but then we got to be moving. We got to be active, playing a game, doing something. Three people you'd like to have dinner with. Brene Brown. Well, so I don't know if you, Brene Brown, Adam Grant, and Simon Sinek recently all were on Brene's podcast. Did you listen gotcha. to that? You're just freaking wow. genius, those three. Well, and I just so appreciate how they disagreed on things and they'd be willing to say like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And right. I mean, Adam Grant has that book. Yeah, I'm looking again. over my books right now. Like, yeah, yeah, Dare to Lead was the one. Um, I think I've read it, second one of hers too, but that was really good, really, um, really good for me. And then just great perspective too. And it, it also helped me a lot. Um, we've got a lot of um, female leaders and female partners here and so on. It helped me really connect too, because they were all talking about it at the time. And so it kind of gave me some better insight to think about how I can connect better with them and support and everything too. But it was great. It was great for me as well. She's, she's fantastic. I always loved Adam Grant and Simon Sinek too. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to so check that three, out. I mean, that dinner would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. That'd be one to, worth, you know, bidding on to pay for, for sure. And then last one here, what's something big that you want to do before it's all over? And I'll, I'll say this, I think in some ways, people like you who are so intentional and plan, you have this big vision. It's either hard to get bigger than the big vision you already have, or, or maybe it is just the big vision out there, or maybe you've done a lot of things you want to do already. But what's something you want to do before it's all over? I would love to do some sort of a world tour. And mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like, really, but I love to travel and I love to experience new places. And so I would love to take the year off and just travel all over the world man. and and live like locals. Yes. I love to like go where the locals go and to experience the people of a place. There's beauty everywhere. And I just, I want to experience it. 
I love traveling um, for for all those reasons, and that that's what's on my mind someday for a sabbatical of some kind to do that and be just phenomenal. I've had a ton of fun, Andrea, and we normally try to keep these to thirty minutes, but this has been an hour, so oh my gosh, the look extended at that. version. Thank you so much. It's so much fun to to reconnect, and and again, I can't imagine you and I, you know, with a beer in our hands at the Ballyhoo. <laughs> Well, I guess we didn't really know what podcasting was, but I'm sure we didn't think about about that or having a book in the Library of Congress with a real number on it, you know, right, that, right. next to our names. So yeah. um, I always feel like I want to send that to like my uh, junior high or high school English teacher and they can eat their heart out because I guarantee they did they did not see me as that person. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. hey, yeah, uh, here's to a, a great 2023. And thanks for spending so much time with us. Appreciate it. You too. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Tim Lehman, and remember to own your edge. Subscribe to the Edge Podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story.